today with all the church on the hill has going on if you haven't already also follow us on social media either instagram or facebook both church on the hill and our senior pastor pastor adam mccain thank you so much for tuning in hope you enjoyed the message now each and every one of us in this room and watching online we have all experienced someone who's made a promise to us and they didn't fulfill it whether it was uh you know a good intending Mom or dad who just, they, they promised it, they just really didn't have the resources. Or a, or a boss that was trying to motivate us and, uh, and made commitments or made a promise that there was no, there was no way they were ever going to fulfill that and give you that raise of $8 million or whatever they promised you. And we've all experienced the frustration of that, the, 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 the disappointment in it. But I want you to know that our God will never disappoint you. If he said it, he will do it. If he said he could do it, he can do it because he's not limited by anything or anyone. Are you with me today? Say yes. In fact, in the 80s and 90s, uh, my beautiful wife uh, competed. Uh, uh, she said more state, but there were some national competitions too that she was a part of. And what she calls English pleasure or saddle. Uh, she was one of those gals that rode the little horses. In fact, we got some pictures of, of, of where, they, where they... With the little helmet on and... When I saw her in the tights is when I married her. I'm going to just put that out there right there. Throw that out there. And, uh, and so when we married, uh, you know, we were young. I was 22. She was 19, turning 20. And she had these two amazing horses. One was a very, very expensive horse. And uh, that first year or so of marriage, uh, we were doing a lot of missions work. Um, we wanted to see people saved all around the world, and we would just give ourselves to it. And so uh, one particular trip, she sold one of her horses to go to China to smuggle Bibles into China in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then, and then, of course, she went with me uh, to Africa to preach the word and see hundreds and hundreds saved uh, there in Kenya, and so she sold her horse to do that, and I'll never forget as she was selling her last horse, actually I did forget, uh, she reminded me the other day that I had forgotten, and, uh, and, and in fact, let me just jump ahead, we've been looking, you know, to try to, you know, Jamie's always finding property that we could sell our house and move to something else, and so she found this little piece of property, had a little extra land to it, not much, and, uh, and we were looking at just dreaming, I know you guys do the same, we were just dreaming, and, uh, and so I'm the practical one and all that, she's the dreamer, and, uh, and so we're going through the numbers, I was like, baby, um, <clears throat> we'd have to win the lottery to be able to buy this property, and we don't gamble, so... Uh, so I don't know how you think we can do this. And, uh, and I'm sitting there talking to her about, I don't think it's practical. And she turns to me and she says, when, we were, when I sold my two horses 26 years ago, you promised me that one day I would have a horse again on property. This was five, six, seven days ago, people. <laughs> you promised me that I would have a horse. I was 22 years old. I don't remember promising nothing. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, when she blinked those big old blue eyes at me a couple of days ago, I have determined she's getting a horse and some property. So there is a, yeah. So I just want to put it out there. There's a used 49-year-old kidney for sale. I, somebody want to look me up and find me online. I, though we may not be able to always keep our promises, 
He will always keep his promise. In fact, our key scripture for this whole teaching is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Turn your Bibles on and look at that one. You need to mark this one because this will encourage you in times of difficulty. Look what the Word of God says. It says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. If I could kind of summarize what it's saying there, God promised it, he will do it. It's not maybe, I don't know, I didn't really mean it. His, promise, his promises for us are yes and amen. Not yes and maybe, not ah, uh, if only. No, they are yes and amen towards those who love him. Do you love him today? Say yes. Then his promises towards you are yes and amen. If you're watching online or this is your first time with us today, if you missed last week's teaching on this, you need to go back and get it because I taught you about one of the key promises that he promises to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promised, no matter how stupid we are, no matter how wicked we are, no matter how much we walk away from his nature and the way he is, even though we sin against him, he promises us. In every one of his promises, we see this validation of the relationship. We see the validation of the promise. I told you last week when Jamie and I got married, we both made promises at that altar to death do his part, to love and be faithful to one another. And, and, those, and though she made that promise and I made that promise, she would have a hard time keeping her promise if I walk away from her and I, go, and I go run off with another woman? How could she keep her promise? And so all throughout Scripture, you see these promises that God makes, but he brings a validation point. How can I keep my promise if you don't do this? And so he brings these validation points. And last week we looked at, he says, I promise that I will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness if you will confess your sins. If you'll own it, if you'll admit it, God, I'm an idiot, I was wicked, have mercy on me. When we confess our sins, when we repent, he says, I got you, baby girl, I got you, baby boy, come here. And not only will he forgive us, but then he starts the process of getting that sin off of us. He starts agitating us. Some of you have been so agitated, that's good, because <laughs> he's pulling up those stains, because you got to agitate those stains to get them off the garment. And he's been agitating, using the surroundings and the circumstances of this year to agitate and get that out of you. Well, today, we're going to move into a second promise. Are you ready for today? Say yes. And that's his promise that he will always, always give us wisdom. He will give a promises to give us wisdom. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1 and verse 5. This will be our key scripture for today's teaching. I always try to give you a key scripture. If you're new to our church, I, I, I always tell our congregation, if you'll just mark the key scripture that I give you, if you'll just even memorize that, well, within a year, you'll have about 52 key scriptures. You'll know more of the Bible than about 90% of American Christians. So mark the key scripture. Here's the key scripture. Verse 5 of James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives gener generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Now, this book of James, uh, James, uh, probably that's the English translation of his name into James. His name actually would have been better translated as Jacob. He is the half-brother of Jesus. In fact, James, Jacob, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until the day of Pentecost. He had been falling around a little bit, but he's his half-brother. He's Joseph and Mary's son. And, um, and so he didn't really believe that Jesus, his big brother, half-brother, if you will, was really the Messiah until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all those who were in that space, the upper room as it's been termed. And so in that moment, James, or Jacob, has this turnaround, 
And he goes through the next however many years there. As you got to understand, at the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the church, as you and I know it, was really born. The church exploded on the scene. They had this moment with the Holy Spirit. He comes down. He begins to empower them. They begin to speak in other tongues. And they had this amazing, crazy moment. And all the people that are there for the day of Pentecost, kind of like their New Orleans festival of Mardi Gras or something, they're all there. And all of a sudden, people start seeing what these Christians or followers of Jesus are experiencing. And they all begin to get cut to the heart as Peter stands up and preaches to them. And thousands of them get saved in one moment. And and all of a sudden the church is on Boom, it explodes and it's the church in Jerusalem the church in the city of Jerusalem the capital city or the core city of Israel's history and and so all of a sudden this church starts growing and growing and Peter is kind of the pastor of this newfound work I mean they're calling it a church don't really know what to call it it's all brand new it is a disruptive technology it is a new group of people experiencing the power and the presence of God most of which are Jews most all of them were Jews so they had Judaism as their backdrop they had the Torah that they had memorized as children so you've got these Jewish uh, believers now in the Messiah Yeshua Jesus Christ and they're coming under all types of persecution from the other Jews who believe that they are a cult they're, they're, they're not really that Jesus was not the Messiah there's some just dude that you guys are following some David Koresh type guy and so there's this persecution and then not only that but the Roman government to try to appease the Jewish leaders are, are actually uh, coming against the Christians as well and that's where you see some of the uh, some of the storyline in history about them taking Christians into the college and, and killing them and murdering them in front of a great crowd. And, you know, literally they would cut their stomachs open, tie them to the ground, put cornmeal inside of them, and then turn uh, wild animals loose to come and eat the cornmeal and then, of course, kill the Christian in front of, for sport in front of all the people in the Colosseum. And these things are happening. And Peter then, after a few years of running or overseeing the Jerusalem church, he moves on to church planting and overseeing churches that are popping up all over, if you will, the Middle East and into Europe and those kind of places. And so James, or Jacob, takes over. He becomes the core person leading the Jerusalem church. And that church, scholars believe, got to as much as 50,000 people. He is, he is leading it in a time of persecution. He's leading it in a time of doctrinal debate. Can Gentiles be Christians? No, they can't be Christians. They do this. They're not right. They don't understand the Torah. They don't understand God's ways. Back and forth. And James is leading through all the conflict, through all the mess. And he's done that for about 20 years or so when he writes this book, or his letter, the letter of Jacob, or as we know it in our English Bible, James. And as you open up his letter, he's sending this out to all the churches that he can send it to. It's a, it's a book of wisdom. It is a book of wisdom of what God has showed him, experienced what they're experienced in the first established core, if you will, church, the church there in Jerusalem. And so he opens up when we drop down to verse 5. Listen, if you need wisdom, if you don't know what you're doing, God's not hard on you about that. He promises you he will give that to you if you but ask. I don't know about you, but more than ever before in the time in which we live, we need wisdom. I don't know about you, but more than ever before, the church needs wisdom. Christians need wisdom. I mean, you're trying to figure out, Lord, do I do, I do online school with my kids or do I send them live? Do I do this? Do I, do I stand with this group or do I stand with that group? Lord, what do I do? I just need, Lord, what do I do? We need wisdom. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need wisdom. Come on, tell them, say, you need wisdom. And I don't know if you understand the times in which we live, but if you understand kind of eschatology, the scriptures on what the end will look like, 
boy, we're really starting to smell like we're getting close. I mean, it really... In fact, let me turn your attention to the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. We'll read verses 15, 16, and 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. Look what it says. It says, be, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Would you agree the days are evil? Yes. Would you really agree with that? Say yes. Come on online. Say yes online for me. There you go. We are living in evil days. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, they'll call good evil and evil good. I tell you, our great-grandparents would turn over in their grave if they saw the perversion and wickedness by which we live in. That your, that your eight-year-old, which is now the average age to see internet porn, the things that your children, our children have seen by just connecting online, they would, our great-grandparents would turn over in their grave if they could see the, the wickedness of still how we have so, such just racism still rampant with the difficulty of even the church can't, don't even know how to love each other. I mean, our, our great-grandparents would be like, are we still there? We live in wicked times. And so the Bible says, listen, because there are wicked times, we need to make the most of every opportunity. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Everybody say, don't be stupid. Come on, say, don't be dumb, but understand what the Lord's will is. Oh, when I know what God's will is, it keeps me from being dumb. It keeps me from being stupid. In fact, you know, as I watch what's going on in the earth, there's a lot of stupidity out there. There's a lot of dumbness. Have you done anything dumb in the last nine months of your life? Come on, anybody? All right, the rest of you lying? You're just lying. In fact, so I can help you feel a little bit better about being done, we grabbed some TikTok footage and some YouTube footage of just dumbness, all right? Can I play that for you for a moment? That'd be all right. Here's, here's everybody else in the world, not us, but this is what other people See, only white people do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those are the only ones we could show, show in church. I just want you to know there's some stupid people out there. So it starts out in this uh, verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Look back there. It says, careful how you live. He's telling us careful how we live because life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. Careful how we live. He promises to give us wisdom, but we've got to come back to the place of careful how we live. Do you understand when he's saying this? 2,000 years ago in the early church, do you know what the average lifespan for a person who lived in the first century? It was 45 years old. And everybody over 45 said, thank you, Jesus, I live right now. 
the time with modern medicine. You might be mad about your medical plan, but at least you're not living and dying at 45. Come on, somebody. Life is short, and you and I need to make the most of it. And he says, making the most of every opportunity. Why is he, what's he telling you? Wake up. Wake up. You're missing opportunities. Can I tell you something right now? Right now. You have an opportunity to see people come to Christ that would never have come to Christ nine months ago. Would never even turn their heart towards Jesus. You've got an old friend that's been so wicked and vile and thought your Christianity was stupid. Make the most of the opportunity. Right now, they're thinking, what is going on in life? Where am I? I'm getting text messages, and I'm getting hit up on social media from people I hadn't heard from in 20 years. Are you, uh, uh, can you talk? <laughs> Like, I'm scared. Yeah, you're scared. Why? Because it's wrapping up, ladies and gentlemen. It's happening. And you and I need wisdom. We don't need to be foolish. And that's, look what it says right there. It says, but therefore, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Stop being foolish. Can I just say something to you? It's stupid. It's dumb. It's foolish to keep going to clubs trying to find love. It's dumb to let hate dominate your life right now. That's dumb. It's dumb to keep shacking up. Marry the girl. Come on, bro. Hey. Make it right with God. It's dumb to keep being a klepto. Listen, they looking to fire people right now. They're trying to downsize. Don't steal no more. What's wrong with you? It's dumb. It's dumb to keep, to keep a, a lying just to try to impress people. Tell the whole truth, even if it makes you look stupid. Just tell the truth. It's dumb to live like that right now. It's dumb to keep messing around with alcohol, and you're going to end up drunk in a ditch somewhere, and we're going to have to do a funeral for you. Stop it. It's dumb. Don't be foolish. Wise up. This is the time more than ever that we need to wise up. We see a key person in Scripture who recognizes he needs wisdom. Would you turn with me quickly to 1 Kings chapter 3? We are in church today. Can I read the Bible to you? Is that all right? That is our textbook. That is where we're learning who we're supposed to be like and how we can find the nature of Christ and learn to emulate him. 1 Kings chapter 3 is this storyline about Solomon. Now Solomon is David's son. And we have this moment uh, in verse 5. Let's just read it through for just a second. It says that at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Has the Lord ever appeared to you in the night in a dream where you thought it was real? That's because it was. He speaks in dream works to all of us. And God asked for whatever, excuse me, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Speaking of Solomon. Verse 6, Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son, i.e. me, to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Verse 8, your servant is here among the people that you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord, verse 10 says, was pleased with Sol that Solomon had asked for this. So the Lord said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth, you don't want the cameras to come through for cribs for your, for your house, for yourself, or you have, uh, you have asked, uh, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never, so that, uh, so that, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Verse thirteen. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon has this experience with the Lord. Where the Lord says, wow, 
Look at this guy. Backing up a little bit, David is on his deathbed. And he is at that place where he is in and out of coherency. He's at that place where he's not really, he's probably, you know, towards the end of his life, probably dealing with some dementia or whatever it may be. And one of his other sons, not Solomon, but his oldest, because Absalom has been killed, and now there's Adonai, or Adonai, yep, and he, um, he actually declares himself king. David is in and out of, you know, being able to respond. He's on his deathbed. And Adonai says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make myself king. And so he gathers all the dignitaries, and he says, hey, everybody, I think it's my time. Dad's about to pass. And all the dignitaries are like, yay. Well, they come to David, kind of awaken him and said, and, and Bathsheba, talk about those promises. Bathsheba comes to him and says, you promised that my son Solomon would be king after you. But your other son has gone and made himself king and gathering everybody and trying to declare that he's going to be the next king. And David said, bring Solomon to me. Puts him on his big white stallion, marches him through the city with all the people in his court declaring that he's the new king and puts him on his throne. And that as I finds out about this, he freaks, he loses his mind because he knows that's a death sentence to him because he's been way too bold and courageous. And he runs to the temple and he grabs a hold to the altar and he begins to cry out for his life. And Solomon spares his life. And for the next couple years, Solomon begins to deal with all the enemies of David. And he does it with pretty good wisdom. But as he recognizes that this whole thing is a lot to deal with, See, it's so easy to criticize leadership until you're in leadership and you realize, whoa. It's so easy to be an armchair quarterback, but I'd like to see you have a 300-pound fellow running at you trying to murder you on a football field. It's so easy to say what you could have done when you're not the one trying to do it. And so in that moment, Solomon realizes, whoo, daddy made this look easy. This is tough. And in a night vision, the Lord comes to him and says, ask whatever you will of me. And he says, sir, father, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a kid at heart. I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew, but I don't know. And your people are so precious, and your plans are so amazing. Would you give me wisdom? And you literally sense in this passage that God the Father is like, what? Where did this guy come from? Boy, what? That's my boy right there. Look, what? And not only does he say, will I give you wisdom, but because you didn't ask for riches and long life, I'm going to do that for you too, baby boy, because your heart is pure. Can I tell you why most of us never walk in wisdom? Because our heart usually is not connected to what God's heart is connected to. We don't care about as much about what he cares about. And so as a result, we never ask with purity. We always ask for what we want, what we think will make us happy. Instead of saying, waking up today and say, Lord, how can I make you happy today? Lord, what do you want to accomplish in the earth and how can I be a part of that? And this is what Solomon gets right. He says, God, you have entrusted me with something I don't deserve. You say, you know, I wish I had a promotion. What, do, what are you doing in the position that you have right now? Where are you lacking wisdom? Where are you being foolish right now? Where are you acting like you halfway care about the job? You don't show up early and you don't stay late. You don't give your full attention, your full heart. That's foolish. That's why there's no promotion coming to you. Because leaders are constantly looking for someone who will walk in wisdom and do it right and be right and make it right. And Solomon recognizes that and he says, Father, I don't know what to do here. Father God, I don't have a clue. All I know is that this is a great people, and you've entrusted me with something beyond what my ability is. Will you give me help? Will you entrust me the great wisdom of heaven? And God the Father says, not only, 
not only will I do all these other things for you, but I'll make you so wise that there'll never have been anyone wiser than you before on earth, and never will there be one after you. Never will there be anyone after you that is as wise. So this is the wisest man ever to walk the planet outside of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Let's go back to our key verse in James chapter 1. Turn there with me again. We're going to read a little bit further in our key verse. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded man, unstable and all he does. This passage teaches us how you and I can access God's wisdom promise. Will you take a couple of notes here real quickly? A couple of little pieces that we find in this. The first way to access God's wisdom promise, number one, is to ask. Is to ask. He says, listen, I will give you wisdom if you will but ask. That's the caveat. That's the validation. That's the connecting point to this promise. Ask. If you'll just but ask. See, when you and I ask for help, you know what that means? When we ask for help from God, this is what it means. It means that you have embraced your inability and are surrendering now to his ability. That's what asking is. Asking is, I can't do it. Americans hate to do that. We hate to do that. If you were taught by your daddy, you don't ask nobody. You stand for what you can. You don't ask no. You don't let anybody lord over you. If you were taught by your family that way, then it's a really hard thing for you to humble yourself and ask for wisdom. And that's why you keep doing foolish things. Because you don't have wisdom at work. And you ask. And he says, and he won't even judge you. He won't even say, you're so stupid, I can't believe you won't ask for help. He won't even do that. I can't believe you waited this long. How do you not know this by now? He's not like that. He promises, he says, listen, if you will but ask, he will give generously without finding fault. Do you know how many days I wake up, especially right now in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the craziness with elections and racism and all this kind of, do you know right now I wake up every day and say, help, how do I lead this multiracial church? How do I lead a church where people want to be like you, Jesus, but yet Everything being propagated to us, all the propaganda is saying that we can't do it, that we can't be a multiracial, multi-generational church, that we have such opposing ideas and value systems that we can't be one. Help me, Jesus. I wake up every day and cry out for wisdom, and this church is growing and maturing and expanding and exploding in the midst of such difficulty. Why? Because I'm smart enough, and the people around me are smart enough to go, help Without finding fault, without any judgment towards us. He says, oh, listen, that's what I need to see. I need to see somebody asking. Again, why? Because when you and I ask, what we're doing is admitting our inability and thereby surrendering to his great ability. He can do all things, and he can do all things through us as Christ gives us strength. You and I need to understand that he does not look at you as why don't you know better you say, well, I should know better. I miss you. I've been a Christian this long. I've done this much, and I've still not got this figured out. Ask. Humble yourself. Let him give you wisdom. You need wisdom right now. Some of you need wisdom right now. What should you do financially right now? Some of you need wisdom. What job should you take? What job should you not take? They went from furloughed to shutting down your job. What should you be doing right now? 
I saw a man yesterday, friend of mine, and he, and I, I, and he called me out. He was in the parking lot of the snowball stand. He said, Adam McCain. I said, come on, man of God. And we had masks on. I said, okay, there you are. I couldn't tell who you were. And I said, what are you doing now? He goes, man, we had to shut down our business, man. COVID killed our business. I said, really? I said, you okay? He goes, oh, yeah, we just pivoted, and we bought this snow cone stand. I said, you bought a snowball stand? He goes, yeah. I said, you making money? He goes, we're making money. I said, I'm telling everybody. So this is my tell everybody for you, bro. Go to the snowball stand right there in downtown Cedar Hill. Make that man rich in Jesus' name. Man of God, loves Jesus. But what did he do? He said, I cried out. I said, God, you got to help me because this other business didn't work. Now what do I do? He said, the moment I humbled myself, God gave me this idea. We were able to get this property. I bought a new machine. We've been making snowballs and making money. My wife and kid, my daughter's in there. They're working their tail off, and we're surviving. Come on, somebody. Wisdom. Wisdom that comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's the second thing he tells us to do if we want to access that wisdom, and that is we must believe and we cannot doubt. Believe and don't doubt. Believe and don't doubt. Because he says why? Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should, think, uh, should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and stable in all his ways. Lord, help us believe. Help us believe. Should not doubt. Can I tell you what will help you believe? Somebody say yes. So I, yeah, okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you wanted to know that. I'll tell you what will help you start believing. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. I'll just quote it to you. It says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know what? You know where believing starts? When you and I surrender ourselves to the fact that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and we are not. You know what? You know why my doubt kicks in? Because I stop thinking and believing that he can do all things, that he is above all things, that he is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-understanding. I forget that sometimes. I think that I am all-powerful, all-seeing. I've watched way too many Disney movies, and so I think that I'm some kind of something. And when I come back to a revelation that, wait a minute, only God, only God can do this. Then what happens is I can ask and not doubt Proverbs 1, uh, 7 is talking about the fear of the Lord. You know what that word fear of the Lord is? It's better translated out respect. Respect of the Lord. Respect of the Lord. When I was a kid, I didn't have a respect for electricity. So a couple times I stuck metal into those two prong things in our house. I have a great respect for electricity now. I don't know about you. I have a great respect. I respect the Lord. Now, I've had a couple of times where I had a lack of respect for the Lord and my, had my backside handed to me, and now I have learned, Lord, whatever you say, whatever your word says, I respect it because it is truth, it is wisdom, it is the way I should live. Uh, my dad, Pop, as you all know him, uh, he's not here today. Uh, Pop, uh, I don't know, maybe what, 10, 12 days ago, got bit by a spider, we believe. He had this little knot kind of well, well up on his arm, and, and, and Pops, you know, he's, he's, he's strong, but he's a little older, and so we're watching out for him, and that thing swole up real bad, and he's complaining about it. We can't, Pop, I know you're watching online, we can't always tell if Pop is really hurting or he just wants empathy, sympathy. We're not really sure all the time. And so uh, he loves attention, so he'll take anything, you know, and so... Uh, and so, and, and so Mimi took him to the doctor, and the doctor looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that's bad. And he, he lanced it open, and he cut out whatever tissue that was, was really, you know, infected and looked like it had the poison in it and, uh, and, and put a stitch or two back in it and sent him home. And Mimi asked, are you going to give him any antibiotics? No, he doesn't need anything like that. Are you going to give him any pain medicine? No, you don't go get some Tylenol. She said, okay. And so sitting around a couple of days later at home, and it swells back up. 
it swells back up. And so mom calls the doctor and says, hey, listen, it's swelling back up. Oh, don't worry about it. He's going to be all right. But she's praying in the spirit, feeling like, no, it's not going to be all right. I'm not going to trust that to you. And, well, can we set an appointment? No, maybe a couple weeks from now, y'all can come back in and we'll check on it. And this goes on for a couple days. And Mimi finally looks at Papa and his arm's swelling all up. She says, I don't care what they say. Go up to the doctor's office and sit there until they have to take you. So Pop just goes sits there all day the other day, just sitting there. And he signs a little pad and like, you don't have an appointment? I don't care, I'm going to sit here. Finally, at the end of the day, the doctor's like, well, I guess i got to take this old guy back in here. And so he brings him back. He looks at it and he goes, oh, this is really bad. Yeah, we've been trying to tell you. The point being is this, wisdom has to win out because if foolishness continues on, not only will we lose our lives, we'll lose our nation, we'll lose our children and our great-grandchildren, friends, what we need now in the United States more than ever, and in this church, we need some men and women of wisdom who walk in his uprightness, who understand what he's saying, who knows what the Lord's will is, who's not being foolish and dumb and ignorant and posting all kinds of dumb things and being divisive. We need some wise folks up in here today. We need some men and women who hear God's voice, who he speaks to in a dream, and we say, we're going to do what he says to do, even if it don't make sense to the rest of you, even if the doctors say, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, we don't need to do that. No, no, we're going to sit there until you get out of our way and we get this thing fixed because wisdom must prevail. Are you with me today? Say yes. See, when you respect God more than you care about all of your fears and all your insecurities, you will stand in his wisdom. I had a couple the other day come up to me, and they've going, they're going through something really, really, really tragic. It is really bad. It's, it might be the, one of the worst things that I watch people go through and, and, and go, through them, go through it with them. And as they begin to tell me, and they're believing for a miracle, believing for a miracle, and then they paused, and they looked me, they leaned in, they looked in, and they said, but if we don't get a miracle, we still are going to believe and trust God for everything in our lives. He is God whether we get a miracle or not. We won't run away, Pastor. We're not going to give up on God no matter what. Those people are wise. See, what they have is the fear of the Lord, the respect of who he is and what this life really means, the wisdom of God. How do you access that wisdom? James is real clear. Two points. Number one, ask. Everybody say ask. You can do better than that. Say ask. And number two, believe and not doubt. Everybody say believe. believe. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't doubt. Yeah. Tell them, say, don't doubt. Yeah. I want to give you a quick story, and I'll close out with this. Years ago, the Lord asked me to start this church. I did not want to start a church. I was happy traveling all over the world, speaking in front of thousands and thousands of people. I loved running a local Bible school that had international uh, influence. I enjoyed every moment of that. Thought was really in my stride fit me who's gonna why would I start a church in my 40s with no money and no people that's crazy why do I want to do that and the Lord spoke to my wife and I said do it and we said we would rather obey you than live in comfort and ease because the supernatural the supernatural does not fit in comfort and ease the key to the supernatural in your life is to take some risk for Jesus and obey him and so it wasn't by most people's standards, the wisest thing I could do. It's God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. And so we shut down all those things. We gave up 75% of our income. We sold our nice, comfortable home. We took our kids out of private school, put them in the public school system where they could go and minister and love on people and learn. We took our cars and we didn't, we didn't go buy new ones. We just rolled them till the wheels fell off. And I was in the midst of that 
process with a handful of people that are still with us today. And I got real discouraged. Wasn't growing the way I thought it should grow. People weren't getting saved. I didn't want to waste my time babysitting Christians who didn't want to grow. That was a waste of life. It's foolishness. I'm not going to babysit Christians who don't want to grow, who don't want to obey the word of God, who don't want to help other people know Jesus. That's not this church. That's at somebody else's church. Go there instead if that's what you're looking for. We're going to love you. We're going to grow you, but I'm not going to babysit you. And that was always my heart. That's what God made me. That's how he made me to be. And I was at this place where it just wasn't happening. It wasn't working, and I had some decisions to make, and I just, I just, I'll never forget, I just I humbled myself. And I said, Lord, I need, I need you to show me what to do. I need wisdom on some decisions that are coming up because either we need to shut it down and I need to go back doing what I was doing before or we need to, I can't go any faster or furious or I, I don't know what else to do, Lord. And so I was invited to play at this golf tournament and I'm not that great of a golfer, so that was a miracle in and of itself that someone invited me to come play on, on, uh, on a team um, you know, at this golf tournament at the Cowboys golf course, which was like... I was just happy for the free food, and so, um, and so they paired me with this guy uh, named Pastor Mike, Coach Mike they call him because he's been a life coach to CEOs and ministry, he's, and as I was playing golf with, with Coach Mike, he looks at me and he goes, now how's the church plant going? I said, uh, not good, and he started asking me questions, and so I was telling him, and, um, and then all of a sudden, he threw out this piece of wisdom, and when he said it, my spirit went, that's what you need to do. But my pride said, I listen to this guy. I know what I'm doing. I've been in ministry 20-something years at this point. I don't know if I can do this. And, 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 uh, and, and I'm looking at this guy, and I know he's got the word of the Lord for me. But I didn't expect it to come in that package. And this is why we miss wisdom. Because we don't like the packaging sometimes. And we don't like what we have to do to walk in that wisdom because we're still holding on to some old prophecy that somebody gave you in a parking lot 30 years ago. We're still holding on to some daydream that our grandfather had that he spoke over us when we were five. And we still think this is the way, and we got to do it this way, and so we can't redirect. And I got home, and I, and, and I just couldn't take it. I made the mistake of telling my wife what he said. Should have never done that. And she goes, oh, that's the Lord. I'm like, I knew you were going to say that. Because she had already been saying that for months. I just wasn't listening because I'm the man of God. So he had to repackage it, you know, and keep packaging it because, you know, I was too arrogant and prideful. And this is the problem why we continue in foolishness. Because wisdom comes when we ask, but because we don't believe in the packaging, because we don't believe that he really has a solution, we don't receive it when it comes. And that's why the Bible says we're double-minded, like this thing tossed away around. Think about a buoy out in the, in the, in the, in the surf, and it's just the bouncing, the waves crashing in and sucking it back out. And that's how some of your lives are, simply because you won't believe and stand in it. It said, he said it, I'm not moving until he accomplishes it. I'm with Jesus, I don't care. No, I'm not going out with the guys in the clubs. I'm not getting depressed. I'm not doing I'm standing with God. And wisdom, if you ask, you will receive it. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. 
You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.